Um, we are in the second part of the series, Why in the World? If you missed the first part, I'd strongly encourage you, I don't do this a lot, but go back and listen to it. We recorded, it's on our podcast. You can get it through iTunes or you can get it um, just uh, directly from our website. Go back and listen to it because it's a starting place that we build on from there. So it's not like you can't get anything, but it helps to put the whole package together. So if you want to follow along today, uh, there are some notes at the back as you came in. There's going to be some notes on the screen. There's also in your uh, web-enabled smartphone, look at the free app called Uversion. Down in the right corner, there's a box called More. Tap it. Look for Events into one, and you can follow along. All of our announcements are in there. There's a link to online giving if you want to do that, but all of the references are there. Today, I'm just going to scare you right up front. We're doing, we're doing a big passage, so if you have the, the paper handout, it doesn't have all the verses in it because there's not enough room. Oh my goodness, we're doing like 38 verses today. Whew, we better get started. All right, the starting point here that we come to, our starting place for this whole series is the fact that we believe that God became one of us. In ancient times, and mostly still to to this day, this is a really weird idea. It doesn't make sense because we are all about moving on up. The pharaohs and the Caesars were classic for deifying themselves to being declared gods. People like that sense of power, authority, influence over others. They like to think of themselves as God. That they have moved on up. And everyone was trying to become like God. But Christians believe that the real God turned it all around and he became like one of us. John, John was one of Jesus' close friends. He was part of a group, a small group called the Apostles. He was an eyewitness to everything that went on there. And he wrote about it in the book of John, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. And he also wrote a book called Revelation. But this eyewitness of what happened, explain it to us like this in John chapter 1, verse 14. And the Word, that's speaking of Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us. He hung out with, he tabernacled, he came into the midst of, he pitched a tent amongst us. He chose to come. So if God came to be one of us, to live like one of us, to be a stranger on the bus. Why? Why did he do that? Why did Jesus become one of us and live as one of us, among us? Why would he do that? If it was just to die for our sins, couldn't we have sped that whole process along? How long would it have taken for him to jump into history just to take that spot and to accomplish that? A big part of why he came was to pay for our sins. And we're going to look at that in a couple weeks at the end of the series. But there are some more subtle reasons that I think are really, really important that very much affect our mindset, the way we view God, and the way that we will live. And so I really don't want to miss those to just jump to that part. That's the part that we've heard the most about. So lastly, we talked about the first reason. Why in the world did Jesus come? To communicate and to demonstrate what God is like. There are some things about God that you will never know unless you look at Jesus. Studying nature, looking at Him in nature, won't get you there. Religion and religious systems won't get you there. In order to fully understand what God is like, Jesus shows up as God in a bod, and He says, look, I don't want this to be theoretical. I don't want this to be a list. I don't want this to be literature. I want you to see it. 
So Philip says, hey, Jesus, show us the Father. And Jesus says, look at me. He said, I am as close to the Father as you will ever get. My Father sent me because he wants you to know him. He wants you to be in relationship with him. And instead of more information, he decided to show up in person because he wants you to know him, but he wants you to be in relationship with him, not just to know about him. This is huge. This is unprecedented. It is not mimicked anywhere else. This is the only version of uh, spirituality that comes up with anything as crazy as this. And if we were going to write this thing again, we would, we would certainly not write it like this because it doesn't seem to make sense. John 1.18, it says, No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father and has made him known. Jesus shows up to make him known. Jesus showed up to explain God. What's he really like? So we've been reading the book of Mark, right? Right. Right. It's not hard. It's only a couple of chapters a week and you'll get through the whole thing. We're looking again. What do we learn about the Father from the Son? There are clues in this story about what God is like. And honestly, ask yourself, wouldn't you really like to know what God is like? Wouldn't that make this whole thing easier? Today, that's what I want to do. We're going to look at a story, talks about Jesus, and reveals a ton of stuff about God, the Father. You will never get closer to understanding God than Jesus. So read it. People say they don't want to read the Bible. Sometimes they say this because they don't know if it's true. I don't know if I can believe the Bible, so I don't think I'll read it. And you go, honestly, you don't read anything because you think it's true. If you were to believe that the Bible was true before you started to read it, you would have had to read it. Read it. It just makes sense that you have to read it to see if it is true. So engage with it. Check it out. It will not hurt you. We're going to go to John chapter 9. That's where we're going to be. So if you have your paper Bible, you want to hang out there, flip to John chapter 9. If you want to follow along on the screens, we're going to do that as well. And if you have your phone, you can follow along either through our notes there or just reading along. John chapter 9 is where we're going to be. So we start here. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now, as we start the story, there's a little proviso, a little asterisk in the top corner that we have to deal with right away. This story is in the Bible. Okay? You know that part. But this story is also filled with bad theology. Even though it's in the Bible. There's a bad understanding of God and what God is like. So because you read it in the Bible, doesn't mean that what these characters are saying is necessarily true. This is part of why Jesus came to correct misunderstandings. And so some of the words that they use in here are not to be, and this is what we all believe. Jesus came, and during the story, what he's doing is saying, you've misunderstood. Okay, so we get confused sometimes because it's in the Bible. So every word in the Bible, regardless of what's around it, must always be right all the time. It's more complicated than that. You have to read things in context. So the assumption was that this kid that they're talking about had been born blind because somebody did something wrong. They believed that bad things were always the result of sin. 
Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever heard that? Was that implied to you? That belief is still very much around today. Have you, have you ever wondered if your suffering is your fault? Maybe not directly as in moment to the next moment, but maybe you've done something. Maybe it was somebody that was related to you did something. And they did it bad maybe in your earlier years, in those young and crazy years. Maybe it was your parents' earlier years. And you wonder, is God punishing me now for what happened years ago? The assumption is so frequently that if bad things are happening, there must be a reason. There must be a thing. There must have been a time. There must have been an experience. There must have been a conversation. And now we need to go on a witch hunt. And so we start confessing all this kinds of stuff. So if I correct A, then God will correct B. Their assumption was that whenever something bad happened, it was because they brought it on themselves. If that's true, how do you feel right now? If that's true, how do you feel about God right now? So they say, Jesus, who sinned? Because blindness is always the result of sin. And everybody knows that Jesus, was it him or his parents? And Jesus said, neither. It's nobody's fault. This is not the result of sin. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. And then Jesus introduces to his audience, and he introduces to us a big new idea about God. But this happened so that. You could read this as, but in order that. Here's a story, but in order that. But in order that, here is a big teaching from Jesus. It's new. They had never heard it before. It was totally groundbreaking. Pain has a purpose. The reason that this boy was born blind was so that, in order that, it shows that God is up to something. Pain and suffering is not always the result of sin. And for them, they're thinking, my goodness, I've never heard this before. Could this actually be true? Oftentimes, it's not the result of anyone's direct sin. And Jesus says, let me give you a new category. Pain may have a purpose. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. This situation exists because God wants to do something. This is a brand new category. It's a whole new way of thinking. This theology had never been considered before. God might actually not be punishing with pain. He might actually have a purpose with pain. So what do we learn about the Father from the Son? God sometimes chooses to display His power through our pain. They had no concept of this. Their theology didn't teach them this. Staring at nature didn't teach them this. Years of being involved in faithful service to God and serving at the temple didn't teach them this. Meditating didn't teach them this. This was brand new. There could be purpose in pain. People bearing up under. People coming through. Stories of overcoming are so compelling. They're so persuasive. They're so 
admirable that they helped my faith to grow. I don't have to have anything to do with the story to have my faith grow because of the story that somebody else is describing. When I see people handling those pivotal circumstances that we talk about, where you could be led and I'll never talk to God again, or I can now see God in a new way and I want to follow Him closely, those pivotal circumstance moments when everything else stops and our focus is completely given to that moment, when you see people handling those things well, it inspires me. It draws me closer to God and my faith expands. Trusting God and looking for purpose in their pain. Okay, uh, back to the story. This, uh, this gets a little bit more interesting here. After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it in the man's eyes. Now, don't get all bible on us and try to figure out why this is really a blessed thing and it's a beautiful thing. It, it's gross. It's dirty, okay? There's a, there's a dirty boy, a young man, who's been on the ground begging. This, this conversation is happening off to the side, and the next thing the blind guy knows is that there's this squish, slop, squish, slop, and he's like, what? What just happened? What's going on? Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. And the guy is thinking, well, yeah, I gotta go wash somewhere. Someone just put mud in my face. The word means sent. And so the man went and washed and came home seeing. This is a young man who has never seen anything. This is an incredibly big change for him. All of life literally opened up. There was something new that was there. One day, a stranger walking by puts mud in his eyes. He goes to the pool saloon and now he can see. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging, asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, no, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. Well, how are your eyes open, they asked. And he replied, the man they called Jesus, he made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to the saloon and wash. So I went and washed, and then I could see. Now listen to what they ask him. Talk about insensitive and unthinking. I'm sure I would do something like this. I make mistakes like this all the time. They say, where is the man? What just happened? He was blind. Where is the man? He says, I don't know. I don't know which way he went. I don't know what clothes he was wearing. I was blind. I have no idea. And so they, they brought him to the Pharisees, this man who has been born blind. You have to do this. This is what happens. This is part of the Old Testament procedure. There's a rule. If there's a miracle, you have to go take that person to the Pharisees or teachers of the law, some sort of religious, religious leaders, and they've got to sign off on it. Maybe they ask a few questions. They check a few boxes. Yes, sir, what happened here? What was the date? Is this the correct spelling of your name? Okay, here you go. Here's your certificate. Thanks for coming. It's a miracle. They have to sign off on all of these things. And there's a really good reason for it. One of the things is that claims of healing could be quite um, common. Because sickness often puts you outside of community. And healing could bring you back in. And to prevent d disease from spreading, to prevent the whole area from gaining, uh, to getting the sickness, they had to make sure that it was really gone. So they had to get you checked out. It was a safety kind of thing, but it was also a way to restore people to community. So that's what they did. 
They followed the law. They took this guy to go see the Pharisees. But there's a big problem that comes here. Now on the day, now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Bum, bum, bum. Everything changed. The soundtrack just shifted right at that point. They dropped in the new sound effects and now it's kind of eerie and creepy with suspense in the background. Therefore, the Pharisees asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God. Well, no, we haven't talked to him. Well, no, we really don't have very much information about what happened at all. But one thing we do know, we are absolutely sure that this man who performed this miracle is not from God. And here's how we know. Because he did not play by the rules. For he does not keep the Sabbath. That was the problem. We have a box. It's a well-understood box. God is in our box. And we know exactly what God does. And we know exactly when God does it or when he doesn't do it. And here is what we know about God. God always has a day off. Sabbath is key. The rest of the story doesn't even matter. Don't blur with the facts. Don't bring in other stuff. This guy is clearly not from God because we know everything there is to know about God. We have a very sophisticated, well-thought-out theological system. Which is why Jesus came. Because our religious theological system doesn't reveal God the Father the way that Jesus can. But others asked, well, how can a sinner perform such a sign? And so they were divided. Then they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. And the man replied, uh, he's a prophet? Maybe that was more of a question than a statement. What seems like the right answer here? I don't get asked these questions a lot. How do I know? I didn't see him do it. I didn't see him coming. I didn't see him leaving. I don't know which way he went. We had next to no conversation. It was more like squish slop, squish slop. Go wash your eyes out. And we haven't spoken since. I don't know anything more about this guy. What can I tell you? They did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight. And so they sent for his parents. They don't even believe him. Here's your story. The whole thing is now in question because of the Sabbath. And he's looking around thinking, oh, oh, that's what this looks like. Oh, I've never seen one of those before. My first day was sight. And I'm trapped, getting interrogated by you guys. I want to go see some more cool stuff. I want to engage with this new thing. I don't want to be here. Is this your son, they asked. Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that he can now see? We know he's our son, the parents answered, and we know he was born blind. But how he can see now? Or who opened his eyes? We don't know. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who already had decided. We know what God's like. We have a system. We have theological parameters. 
We have test cases. We have a body of knowledge and history. We know God wouldn't do this, so now we have to find out who was behind this. They had already decided that anyone who acknowledged Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. It's a big deal. This would be excommunication. But to be put out of the synagogue in this society probably meant that you couldn't work. You, you, you would be considered ceremonially unclean. You couldn't make a proper sacrifice. Forget about going to Jerusalem. Forget about going to the temple. Forget about having your sins forgiven. You were excommunicated from the, excommunicated from the synagogue, but you were also excommunicated from the culture, the religion. You were now thrown out of everything. So they had decided Anybody who brings up Jesus' name, anyone who tries to equate Jesus with the Messiah or anything divine, you just need to know ahead of time that you are out with us. No fact discovery. You're out. And that's why his parents said, he's of age. Ask him. A second time they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth, they said. We know this man is a sinner. There has to be some other explanation. The outside parameters. This is outside of our parameters of religious thinking. That's why Jesus came. Because this was outside of the religious parameters. There are things about God that you will never figure out apart from Jesus. We could spend the rest of our lives living under false assumptions False assumptions about God, apart from Jesus. That's why Jesus came. Verse 25, he replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. Some of you believe that you know everything. Some of you believe that you, until you do know everything, you cannot believe anything about Christianity. I still have questions. Nobody has ever explained these things to me well enough. So until those explanations come, then I will believe nothing. I need to understand it all before I can embrace any of it. And this is part of the, what we hear in our culture a lot. Right here in this little story, there's the man who was formerly known as blind. He says something, just a little comment, just a little thing on the side it seems. But that comment has been preserved for more than 2,000 years to help some of you decide. I can take a step without knowing everything. I can believe in something without being able to explain everything. And this is what he said. One thing I do know. I was blind, but now I see. I can't answer all of your questions. I don't really know that much about the guy. Never even seen him. I can't explain it all, but one thing I can't explain. Once I was blind, but now I can see. And then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I have told you already if you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? And it dawns on him, oh, you really enjoyed my story. You want me to tell it again. All right. Then they hurled insults at him and said, you are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know 
that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. The man answered. Now that's remarkable. We don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know. Okay, again, stop for a second. Super bad theology alert. Warning, warning. Okay, it's in here. Here they go again. Lousy theology. It's what they believed. It's what was ingrained in the culture. And it's again why Jesus came to correct bad theology. To correct poor understandings of what God is like. We know that God does not listen to sinners. That's not true. But that's part of the theology. It's part of what they believed, part of what they held again, part of what drove the whole temple system. This is one of the reasons, again, that Jesus came to earth to clear this sort of stuff up. So he goes, he goes on. This is the, the, the formerly blind boy. He's talking. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. This amazing thing just happened. And you're arguing about whether he's a good person or a bad person? Would a bad person do this? I know it doesn't fit your theological system, but how else is this explained? I know you don't have a category for this. I know there's no, no department that handles this kind of inquiry. I know you've never had a lesson on this. I know that this wasn't part of Sunday school. This wasn't part of training. training. But you know what? This is what actually happened. Guys, can we not broaden our categories just a little bit to deal with the fact that maybe, just maybe, there's something about God that we don't fully understand? Maybe, just maybe, that God is bigger than we think that He is? Maybe God is more merciful than we imagined Him to be. Maybe God would do for an unworthy person like me something that you wouldn't be willing to do for an unworthy person like me. They didn't like that. <laughs> to this they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. Now they're just lashing out, right? It's angry. Let's, he just, they just dissed his whole family, his whole ancestry. This is where you came from. You're just like sin city. Everyone in your family must have been bad. You were baking in it, cooking in it. Look, kid, somebody sinned. Somebody sinned so that you were born blind. We don't know who it was, and hear this clearly. We don't care who it was. That's what happened. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. They threw the boy and his family out of the synagogue. Why? What did they do wrong? They did it in their minds to honor God. Was God honored by that? This is why Jesus came to earth, to clear up what God is really like. That family got kicked out of the synagogue, and we learned another important lesson about the Father from the Son. God extends mercy beyond theology. Every theological system, Christianity, Judaism, Islam, Buddhism, you just keep listing them. Every theological system puts caps and collars on God's mercy. Every theological system puts a lid on what God can do in terms of mercy. And at some point, every theological system, there is somebody who is just outside, just beyond having access to God's mercy. 
And Jesus showed up to make it so extraordinarily clear that my heavenly Father's mercy flows over and past and around any theological system. Mercy should inform theology. When mercy becomes an obstacle to... When, when mercy becomes... When theology... I wish you guys could just say it yourselves. That would make it so much easier. When theology becomes an obstacle to mercy... Change your theology. You're doing it wrong. Christians can be just as guilty of this, perhaps even more guilty than other faith systems. We would never understand just how broad and deep God's mercy is if it wasn't for Jesus showing up and correcting our thinking. Here's a statement that you can sort of work with, all right? If your belief allows you to mistreat you are guilty of misbelieving as well as misbehaving. You're struggling in two categories, orthodoxy and orthopraxy, right beliefs and right practices, right actions. You are struggling in both of them. Do you realize that everyone you've ever been eyeball to eyeball with is someone that reminds God of himself? We're all made in the image of God. Do you realize that everyone that you are ever eyeball to eyeball with is someone for whom Jesus died on purpose? Do you realize that everyone that you are ever eyeball to eyeball with, even your worst enemy, is worth the same to God as you? He loves you so much, but not just you. Jesus helped us understand this. Do you remember when he said, pray for your enemies? Do you remember that? More wild, weird Jesus talk, right? Pray for your enemies. Man, do you even pray for your friends? Half the time you forget to pray for your spouse and your kids. The day just got away from you. Jesus wants enemies on your prayer list so that you never forget. No matter how you view your heavenly father, don't you dare don't you dare limit him to the point that someone is outside the bounds of his mercy. What if Christians had gotten just that one thing right for the last hundred years? What would be different because of that? As you read those accounts of Jesus, mercy should inform and define our theology. So the third thing that we learn about the Father from the Son, three, God takes personal interest in individual people. Have you ever wondered this? You know there's that verse in the Bible, John 3.16 or something, where it says that God loved everybody so much that he sent his son to die for them. Did you ever think that maybe he, he, that was absolutely true and, and then he went on to do something else? And, and then he had another project that he had to get to? I love you so much I'm going to send my son, but then I got other stuff to do. Does God really know my name? When I pray... Does my prayer get to God? Or does he just kind of like the sound of murmuring voices all around the world? Does God have the capacity to care for individuals? Here's a powerful thing that we can learn about Jesus. When he healed, he chose repeatedly, consistently to heal one person at a time. There were no bulk healings. There was no area-wide healing. He didn't need to, but he chose to go person to person to person to person healing 
Why? Because in doing that, he was teaching us something about the Father. God takes personal interest in individual people. There is something about healing that's fantastic, but there's something about relationship that's transcendent. Those people needed more than just healing. If you read, or should I say, as you are reading the book of Mark, take a highlighter. Look at this. Every time you see the word crowd, or there was a gathering, or there's a large number of people, every time you see that, let it sink in. How many times does that come up? Jesus was constantly surrounded by people. There was no escape vehicle. There was no event staff. He had no publicity people who said, he'll be doing it at 4 o'clock, but not right now. He was there all the time. Thousands of the sickest people would come, and they would surround him. Because when you're very sick, you're also not very self-aware. When you're really sick, you're desperate, and it doesn't matter. The junk that you worry about other days doesn't matter because I'm really sick, and I don't care anymore what any, anybody else thinks. If I can touch him, if I can be at the front of the line, I will be healed, or, or, or maybe my, my son will be healed. Desperate people everywhere he went crowded in around Jesus, and he could have waved his hand and healed them all. But Jesus always healed one at a time. He was never in a hurry because your heavenly father cares about individuals. You'd never figure that out apart from Jesus. And Jesus had heard they had thrown him out. And when he found him, Jesus went looking. Jesus heard that they threw this kid and his family out of the synagogue. And Jesus went looking for him like the lost sheep, like the lost coin, or like the lost younger brother. Jesus went looking because individuals matter to Jesus more than just a crowd. Individuals matter to God. You won't learn that from nature. Odds are pretty good that you're going to miss it, even in a religious system. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? That's a theological question. The Son of Man is an Old Testament prophetic reference to the Messiah. To us, the Son of God sounds bigger and more important and more lofty. But in those days, all of Israel called themselves sons and daughters of God. So it didn't stand out. But this young man was skipping way past the theology. And he's thinking, Your voice sounds familiar. Who is he, sir? The man asked, tell me so that I may believe in him. Your voice, your voice sounds familiar. I know you. You're the squish slop, squish slop guy. I know who you are. Oh, they asked me a bunch of questions about you, and I didn't know how to answer them. I tried to stick up for you, but that didn't work out as well as I'd hoped. I didn't go for the school for this. I was blind. They didn't teach me. I don't know very much. But based on the little bit that I know, you just tell me what to believe, and I'll believe that. Just point me in the direction of the Son of Man, and I am all over that. And Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. I tracked you down. It wasn't enough that my mercy flowed over your need. I wanted you to meet me personally. 
Then the man said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. Three big things that we learn about the father from the son in just one little story. Imagine what's in the rest. Keep reading. Keep going through that gospel of Mark and don't let it just collect dust. There's so much in there to find out. There's so much freedom that's waiting to be discovered and walked into. There's so much to cause your faith to grow. Don't miss your opportunity to connect more deeply in relationship with Jesus. Keep being in earnest pursuit. Read it. Talk about it together. Pursue Him. Learn about Him. Your life will be forever transformed. Let's pray. Kind Father, thank you again for sending Jesus for us. You knew what we needed. (laughs) You know what we needed on so many different levels. And you were not content with us solving this problem on our own. You knew that what we needed was you to help us. You knew that we would be incomplete without you. You knew that we wouldn't get it right until you showed us clearly. Thank you for showing us clearly. Guide us forward into this week, we pray. Now that you have spoken to us, make us ready to speak for you wherever it is that we go. Thanks. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you and keep you. God smile on you and gift you. God look you full in the face and make you prosper and give you peace. Be blessed in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You may be seated. Thanks for being here today. It's better when you're here. It's better when we're together. Thanks for being part of that.